The full power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is contained in the Book of Mormon, period. Remember this declaration by Jesus himself. Whoso treasureth up my word shall not be deceived. And in the last days, neither your heart nor your faith will fail you. Hey everyone, welcome to the Book of Mormon podcast. This is episode 174. As always, you have your host, Shelby and... Kevin. And today we are discussing 3 Nephi chapter 11, and we have a guest today for you guys, and we're going to go ahead and let him introduce himself. We have, uh, well, we'll tell you his name. It is Mark Richens. He it was our institute teacher when Kevin and I were dating, so we are... So honored to have him back uh, or have him be talking here on the podcast with you guys and give some insights on 3rd Nephi 11. So go ahead and introduce yourself, Mark. Um, my name is Mark Richens. I'm actually going to cheat if that's okay. I'm just going to read the bio that my wife wrote me for me for all for my speaking and for my conference and stuff like that that I do. Uh, so it, this could be true. I don't know if it's not, if it is. Um, I grew up in Colorado. I played baseball and golf and uh, did theater. And then I served a mission uh, to Kiev, Ukraine from 97 to 99. Uh, upon returning from my mission, I fell madly in love. This is Kelly writing. Uh, madly in love with my amazing wife. And uh, we're the happy parents of four wonderful human beings, a boy and three girls. Uh, I love my daughters deeply, but I also miss having son, my son in the house. Um, but he's uh, currently, he's not serving anymore. He finished, he just finished a mission uh, to, he was in Nashville and then in Peru. Um, I have an undergrad in psychology, master's in family and human development. I'm in my last two semesters completing my dissertation in, uh, for a PhD in leadership. I've worked for seminaries and institutes for almost 17 and a half years, 18 years now. I started in St. George and then eight years ago, got moved to Texas where I was with Shelby and Kevin at UT Arlington at the institute there and directed that institute. And then uh, three years ago, I was moved out to East Texas uh, to coordinate um, the stakes where my wife grew up. I'm in her old stomping grounds and literally they are stomped down at times. It's East Texas, and uh, and I love it. We've loved being out here and have had a wonderful experience. So that's what I do, and I and I like East Texas because it allows me to keep my head below the radar. <laughs> Just laying low out there. Hey, it's it's really great. <laughs> so, well, I just want to say that you know, I Shelby and I we've had ambitions of getting you on the podcast since like the early days, right? Very early. And then you, you know, the Lord needed you, needed you elsewhere. And we understood that, you know, for a season, but we finally got you on. And I feel like after today, we'll be able to seal the record, <laughs> you know, like, okay, it's, it's done, but, uh, hopefully we can, uh, we can, prepare an offering here today for the Lord. Um, and as we discuss one of the, one of the most special chapters of the book of Mormon, um, which is 35 chapter 11, uh, 
Christ's appearance to the people of Nephi. And so, as always, we just we just dive in. Shell, where where do you want to start? Yeah, I'll I'll just share my initial takeaways from reading the chapter. And there's a lot that we obviously can talk about, but I was pulled to a lot of the ending verses. And we don't have to go there if you don't want to. We can jump wherever. But just the with the recent general conference about so many talks about avoiding contention and becoming peacemakers, it just really stood out to me the doctrine of Christ that he declares when he comes and then how there should be no disputations among you and that contention is not of me. And it just really reminded me of all the conference talks that we just heard in April and how important that is in being a disciple of Jesus Christ, being a follower of him. So those were kind of my initial takeaways overall of the chapter. Um, and I know Kevin and I were talking about it a little bit, uh, just the gathering of the people at the temple in the beginning. So I don't know if we want to jump back up there, uh, but I am all for any thoughts that Kevin or you, Brother Richens, have. Well, hopefully this can springboard us into the discussion. So when I was first, when I was given my first Book of Mormon, when I was 18 years old, uh, the the person who gave it to me had gone and highlighted some verses in 35 chapter 11. And that's what they asked me to read. And at the time, I was not ready to read the Book of Mormon with any intent. And uh, many months later, when the missionaries were able to circle back with me and talk with me, you know, we we went elsewhere and we we dove into Alma and um, we we touched on, you know, some chapters later in Third Nephi, right? Uh, when Christ expounds his doctrine. But it took me a while to come back to that chapter, chapter 11, and I think it even took me longer to to realize the impact that that chapter is, you know, how how much uh how special it is and it was just a few weeks ago that I I guess I said that on the podcast I was like what makes 3511 so special uh not really thinking and then Shelby came in and was like that's that's what distinguishes our message as the restored church of Jesus Christ and the book of Mormon as, as being different, you know, uh, it is his appearance to the Nephites and these people in this other continent, uh, this other land, um, where he teaches them the same doctrines. He establishes his same church, um, as he did in the new Testament. I think uh, I'm interested in both of you both had me thinking some different thoughts here. Um, I think, I think that's critical, Kev, uh, what you just said is this idea of like, we, we look at third Nephi as the pinnacle chapter in the book of Mormon. It's what we have, you know, and you mentioned missionaries. Um, that's really is what we do. And um, we focus, it sounds really funny. We focus, and this is something that's been, on my mind lately, a lot on the appearance, right? And and there is the aspect um, to it being a second witness to his resurrection, right? We have the Bible and there's a lot of people who are like, oh, he wasn't really resurrected, et cetera. But 
but and then we have the Book of Mormon and and we see that there's this appearance. And so we have this second witness. But I think there's something deeper there. Um, and I think this goes to uh, it, it. I think it will come around to what you were sharing, Shelby, and with what we've heard from President Nelson, this idea of contention is that there's there's a relationship here that Heavenly Father is really trying to develop with with us to his son, right? His very first invitation, uh, we, he, you know, he, he, obviously there's the voices and uh, the voice, excuse me, um, and this invitation, right? An introduction. But then the very first thing he says is, I'm Jesus Christ in verse 10, whom the prophets testified shall come into the world. Um, there's a longing for us to have a, a relationship with Jesus Christ, right? And, and um, I was listening to your podcast uh, earlier and, and thinking about when you spoke about the darkness and Shelby brought up this, this incredible darkness and Kevin, you noted it. And then I think in the next podcast, you mentioned how, how you've reflected on that. And I'm like, in that moment, obviously the thing they most, I think your, your guest said something about the thing they wanted the most was, was light. And here's this delay, right? After. This, there's this delay that light came back, but now he comes in and says the very first thing, I am the light and the life of the world. It wasn't this. And, and so there's something there that I think that we overlook because we get caught up in the magnitude of his appearance that here you have him saying, I'm the light and the life of the world. And I'm going to, I'm going to do what Elder Holland does. Not that I'm an apostle or anything, but I'm going to praise and, 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 and I'm just going to say it and I want to meet you. I'm this, I'm the light and the life, but I just want to meet you. And I think there's a powerful connection there, right? That we overlook because again, we're caught up in this, this, you know, it, we've always imagined and how would that feel? We watch these Book of Mormon videos, but we have to stop and go, what he's really just saying is I want to have a one-on-one -on -one with you. And I think there's there's language in there, right? That uh, I don't know. I I, I don't want to occupy the time. So um, no, you're you're, you're totally fine. I I want to add on to what you were saying, if that's okay. In verse fifteen, I highlighted one thing in that verse, and it was the phrase they are going forth one by one until they had all gone forth. And I thought of Elder Bednar. Uh, he has a he has a book out about this, and he just talks about ministering to many ones. Yep, one by one. I have that same for the listeners. He just held up the one by one book, and I've read it, and I love that book. But comparing that to his welcome, right? Is what he says, "I am Jesus Christ," and then you know after he says, you know, "I am that light." And everyone falls to the earth and recognizes him as the savior. And then the next thing he does is that invitation to come unto me. And that's, we talked about that on, um, what was that? The last episode with uh, Tammy, that the power that he has to have that relationship with us and to heal us, right? To have us. And like I said, I just really have been trying to put myself in these people's shoes of what they must have been feeling and and their their emotions and their state of mind 
and just knowing that here is what you've been waiting for and I'm here to be with you and to help you and and part of that is you coming into me you have to make the choice right like you can you come forward um and I just think that it's a lot of parallels to us preparing for Christ to come again obviously we can draw a lot from that but he wants us to be a people that choose him, that come to him and want to be with him. I mean, they were at the temple. They made their way there. Now, how they made their way there, I'm not necessarily sure the timeline of all of that, but nevertheless, they were there, right? And they were attempting to listen. And when they did listen, they finally heard and saw and were able to turn to the Savior quite literally and look up to him. Absolutely. And I, I think the language there in verse 14, right? You you went to 15. I'm going to go back to 14. He says, come forth that you may thrust your hands into my side. And here's the language that you may feel the prints of nails in my hands and in my feet that you may know. Right. In other words, I want you to feel and know we we learn in section 129 about, you know, how to discern spirits and things like that. There's language in there about feelings that we can know. And we can discern. Then he says, verse 15, they did feel the prince and this they did do going forth one by one. So they did see with their eyes and did feel with their hands. And there it is. They did know and notice and this they did bear record. So this isn't just I want you to know for yourself that right. There's an inherent responsibility when God bears witness of his son and we gain that witness that we turn and testify of that. It's not necessarily so that, I mean, I get it. There's, there's the sacredness of that knowledge of that testimony, that feeling that you don't necessarily want to share certain aspects of it, but, but this is incumbent, right? And you, you mentioned Elder Bednar's book, Shelby, and I had it. And, and I remember in there, he said for him to have done this, even if he spent 15 seconds with every person would have taken over 10 hours. So this wasn't a short process. And I can't imagine that 15 seconds would have been all that I don't know about you, but I probably would have wanted a little longer. And I don't think he was up there with a stopwatch either. He would have spent as much time as possible, as much, I'm going to say it this way, as much as time was needed for that individual to feel and see and come away knowing that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the light and life of the world so that they could witness and notice verse 16. That's the language of Joseph after he came out of the grove. I have learned for myself, right? I've witnessed for themselves in verse 16. And then as a result, they cry out with that beautiful, you know, Hosanna shout. And uh, I think there's just incredible. This is a relationship to me. This is that idea and I and I I'll share some other thoughts, but this is this is the beginning of of a relationship with me for from in my opinion. Kevin looks like he's ready to talk. So you you know that look because you were a discerning institute teacher, and you, you'd see me at the on the edge of my seat, about to jump up there and start teaching with you. Um, so there's a there's a painting often in our meeting houses and it's um jesus christ visits the america by john scott and uh, for those of you you know listening uh you can find this and you you probably 
know exactly the the photo or the painting that I'm I'm talking about. It's Jesus appearing to the Nephites outside the temple in the land bountiful, and there was one Sunday, and I don't know when it was. I don't know what the circumstances were, but I was lingering uh, after church, and I was kind of studying this painting, and I started to look at all of the different people. Um, and specifically their their posture, you know, their body language, their expressions. And as you study the different people, and then as you compare that with this, this chapter in the Book of Mormon, um, I started to read the chapter trying to learn about the people who were present. And Shelby kind of mentioned it, you know, these were people and I could be missing some anecdotal detail in the previous chapters. Um, but these were people who had gathered at the temple. And whenever they decided to do that, they had to have been in close proximity because I feel that, you know, there was the darkness. How could they have been there? All, you know, how could they have reached there so quickly you know you also have to think of the the cataclysmic damage to the infrastructure that would have occurred so it's not like they could have just jumped on a highway so to speak and come you know they certainly have lost family members i mean these were people who were already close to the temple and so what does that say about the people and what does that say about the people that we need to become so that we can also have a similar experience when Christ visits us, whether he visits us in the flesh at his second coming, or he visits us in our afflictions, right? So we need to be close to the temple. We need to be doing the things that these people were doing, which are described through the verses, you know, and just to kind of go through, they open their ears to hear. Uh, they turn their eyes toward the sound of the voice that they hear at first, not understanding it and then coming to understand it. And as they understood, uh, they, they begin to have this experience with the savior. And I, I want to point out that in this painting, my, eyes, every time I walk past it in a, in a meeting house, my eyes will always turn to the leftmost frame to a man who, while everyone else is looking up at the Savior, and there's even a child walking toward him, nearest to him, there's a man in that left corner who is is weeping. And he's also, even in the shadow, he's, his body is covered by a shadow of a building. and. I, I always wonder, you know, based on his his posture, I wonder, you know, is he realizing that he was wrong, right? Is he realizing that here's the savior that he didn't he didn't believe in? And and of course we know from the scriptures that these were really the most righteous of people who were spared from the the catastrophes, but I I just wonder. I wonder who this man was and what his previous experiences were. And I relate to him in some ways, just in that, you know, how is my 
how am I going to appear before the Savior when I meet him? I think I think you're bringing up an interesting point, Kevin, because you I, I think sometimes we look at these this group of twenty five hundred and we remember I, I mean, we have to remember that after this, he uh, you know, he'll go into the next few chapters and then he tells them to go and tell their friends. So this is twenty five hundred people who have gathered at the temple, but there's still more survivors out there. But sometimes I wonder, because even these people, the voice in the darkness told to repent, even these people. So I, I, it's interesting. I'm like, a lot of us think that we might not be one of them. Uh, we might be that guy who you perceive, you know, that this artist rendering is, is this guy in the shadow crying and saying, man, I didn't realize it or how long it's been. I mean, these are people who were looking forward to not only the Savior's the sign of his coming, right? But the sign of his death. So that man may, you know, may have been seeing both, but I think they're far more normal than we realize. I I think that this is what Elder Bednar talks about when he says, if you're just being a good boy and being a good girl, you're not perfect. You're just doing what you can, right? And and I'm not going to say this. I don't know. I don't want to sound like a I, let's just make that caveat. I don't speak for the church or anything like that. <laughs> but, but I I think that we are really hard on ourselves. Like a lot of us probably have already placed ourselves as the people who are not there at the temple, but we're going to be one of those people that have are that, that he's going to say go tell your friends and bring them back. But the reality is is a lot of us want a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ more than we realize. And we're doing more things than we realize that allow us to be at or around the temples of our lives. You know, um, you think about it, the the significance of that. Obviously, we read in the Bible dictionary that the home is the next most sacred place. But I just uh, I think we are very hard on ourselves. Because I, I don't know if you noticed, but but he doesn't tell them to repent or to be clean before he touches them. It's I, I found that incredibly significant. It matches and patterns some things he does in the New Testament where he heals people before he says anything about their sins. And in some cases, there's only a handful of places where he actually mentions sins with the people he's healing. He is, he is just as concerned about the physical and mental and emotional challenges of our lives as the spiritual and sinful things. And we overlook that because we have a tendency and we, we say it, we read it, we study it. He died for the sins. He was crucified for the sins of the world. But Alma in Alma 7 speaks of six other things when he talks about the atonement before he mentions sins. Right? Pains, afflictions, temptations, sicknesses, all of that list before he even gets to sins, which I think is that's a God who is more concerned about me as a whole instead of just what is keeping me away from him. That's that's the way he treats the woman taken in adultery. That's the way he teaches the, the woman at the well. That's the way he talks to the guy who's blind, who's born blind. He's not worried about his sins. He's worried about making the man whole. We'll talk about the sins. We can get to that. But I want you to meet me. And and uh, even at the end of John 8, where that, that or John 9, where that blind man is, he, he's, he, that's when the man says, who is he? 
who is he, Lord, that I might worship him? And he says, I, I, you know what I mean? That language. And so I think that this is, again, he just says, I want to introduce myself. I'm the light, I'm the life. I'm here. You're in a good place. You've gathered the, the temple, as Kevin says. Yeah, you didn't hear my father's voice right away. In fact, it took you three times. But as you know, with children, it's going to take a lot more time to listen. But once they do, once they finally get converted, I think there's a beauty there that uh, that we that relationship, this covenant relationship, is is uh, is marvelous. In fact, I I, I read it in a way that I had never read 35 as I prepared for this, that I, I'd never read it before. And it's and based on covenant relationships. Yeah. I, I really appreciate all those thoughts and, and the insights that you're bringing because they're making me think as I'm listening here and I'm thinking about our day and how the, we've been counseled a lot to go to the temple to be in the temple as frequently as we can. And that's where we make covenants, right? And we're reminded of our covenants when we go through for our family members. And there's there's something there's something there and it's I don't know exactly what it is and if I have the words to describe it, but covenants bind us to the savior, right? We know that. And so as we continually, you know, approaching it with this relationship that you're talking about, it's when you come to know who he is, you're more inclined to then do what he asks you to do because you understand his intention, you understand his heart, and you're by coming to know Christ, you're coming to know our Heavenly Father, right? And so I don't know, I think about this in the sense of us trying to become like Christ. Is sometimes you just have to remove the agenda of getting to know somebody, like, oh, I, I want them to know the gospel. Just take it away. And take that agenda out of your mind. And I just want to get to know you and your life and your family and your, I just want to connect to your heart, right? Like, and then all those other things that you want to share from your heart, they'll come because they understand your heart because you're trying to become like Christ, right? And you're being the conduit of his light. And so I just think about that and especially you know, uh, post pandemic. Now I think people are craving that connection. They just want to be heard. They just want to be seen. There's a lot of wounds that people went through and scars and healing that people want and Christ can do that. And so we can be that person for whoever it is in our lives and know that they can eventually come to trust us. The, the conversations of, abiding, you know, keeping commandments and making covenants, they come so much more naturally and more willing on the other, on the receiving end, because they understand who Christ is and who you are. So I don't know. Well, we, but notice and, and not, but, but, but notice what the brethren are and what the direction is of the church now with that very thing, right? They're, they're more concerned, like you take the, for the, for the strength of youth guidebook, they want, right, Christ is the strength of youth, Elder Uchtdorf, Christ is the strength of parents. They want you to go to the Savior and develop a relationship with him and then say, okay, now let's talk about modesty. I want you to develop deepen a relationship with him and, and then let's talk about dating. Let's talk about some of these other things. In, in other words, the church 
it, it seems to be pulling itself out of that as an intermediary, almost the way the law of Moses was before. And he's and he's saying, let's let's pull this out and just come to me and let's talk. I want you to get to know me, like you said, and I want to get to know you. And and this idea of covenants, Elder Elder, I grabbed this quote. President Nelson taught in October. He said, "Through covenants, we create a relationship with God that allows Him to bless and change us." If we let God prevail in our lives, that covenant will lead us closer and closer to him. Covenant keepers who love God and allow him to prevail over all other things in their lives make him the most powerful influence in their lives. And so it's interesting. Dr. Jennifer Lane was um, was on a podcast last year, I think, with, uh, you know, other other scripture based. I'll just say it that way. So it's not to promote other podcasts, but. She she was describing some things in her research on she's a she's a a word person and um, she wrote a book uh, called Finding Christ on the Covenant Path. She said we we talk about covenants right in the in the language of the Bible dictionary that there's you know a covenant is a is a two way promise God sets the terms but listen to this language she says. The contractual model that, that we generally go off of can and does easily color our sense of what covenant means. But in the ancient world, making a covenant was a matter of co- wasn't a matter of commerce. In ancient Israel, the term for covenant was berit. The concept behind berit is a relationship understood as a family relationship. Making a covenant in scriptural terms can be best understood as forming a new family relationship. When we get married, we create a new relationship. When we adopt a child, we create a new relationship. There are promises that we make to each other, but this is not a contract. We are creating new families. We are different people in these new relationships. We become husbands, wives, parents, and children. And so then she goes on to talk about how because we've made that covenant with Christ, which is interestingly enough, the very next step that he talks about. It's all about baptism. He says, I want to get to know you. In other words, this isn't going to be a blind date marriage. I want to get to know you. I want you to know and feel and see with your hands and your eyes. And then I want to make a covenant with you. And I want to make that covenant with you so that you can, in this day, obviously with baptism, but in our day, it's something that he comes in and he says, all right, let's, let's talk on Sunday. I want to talk on Sunday and I want to, I want you, could you, can you watch with me one hour for that one hour? Can you worship me? And let's talk. That's our date. That's our uh, companionship inventory. If you're a missionary, right? It's this idea of let's talk about where you are and where I am in that relationship and how we're doing. But it's all about him being now our covenant relationship and him us saying to him, I want to be better. And he says, okay, as, as a member of your family, as the elder member, in fact, sister, um, sister Lane talks about, um, the Goel, which is the language it's called, it means kinsman, kinsman redeemer. It's all throughout the book of Ruth and other places, but he's now obligated to take care of that family member. That's what that relationship does is you become a member of his family so then he is then obligated. So this is almost him saying, I want, to, I want you to get to know me. I want you to see with your eyes and feel with your hands and know me so that you can also know I've taken care of all of it. Every last problem that you'll face in this life. 
right? All of those challenges, all of those difficulties, whether you're a single mother or childless, whether you're divorced, whether you have a debilitating disease, whether you have a, a you know, a, a, a same gender attraction or gender, a, a gender identity um, questions, all of those things. He says, I can manage that. And that's my job. If you are willing to make a covenant with me, Right. But but we need to go to him and learn to trust him with that. And, and as President Nelson let, said, let let God prevail. I've been talking a lot. So you guys take over now. It's your podcast. That's why we we invited you on. We wanted you to talk. <laughs> well, there's so much more that we could say. I think we've said some really, really great things about, you know, removing the maybe the formality of of coming unto the savior and just like, like you said, you know, getting to know him and it's cause he, that's what he wants, right? That's what he wants. And I guess to put like a cap on my thoughts about that, that painting is that at the end of the day, that man, whatever I associate uh, as, as how he felt in the presence of the Lord, uh, just as, you know, regardless of how I feel like I would be in the presence of the Lord the Lord still invited him to come and feel and know. And so it, it didn't matter. Right. Um, so, you know, to, to kind of move on, it's interesting um, to see the, see how Nephi is received at this event um, in verse 18. And it says that it, it came to pass that he, Jesus spake unto Nephi, for Nephi was among the multitude. <laughs> Why wouldn't he be, right? <laughs> and he commanded him that he should come forth. And Nephi does something. He, he, ar he rises and goes forth. He bows himself down before the Lord and did kiss his feet. And uh, the Lord commands that he should rise. And then he gives him the power to baptize this people. When he's again ascended into heaven. So you know, th this is interesting. I, I would, I believe that, you know, Nephi had the priesthood already. And so this is further authority being given unto him, or um, could we, could we assume, and I, I wonder how often we should associate our current priesthood offices to <laughs> any particular time period of the scriptures. But, you know, are we to think that perhaps Nephi at that point had, you know, the level of, of priesthood authority to, um, I mean, obviously he was the prophet, right? But could he baptize before? Or were people being baptized before? Or, or... Well, baptism had been happening up to that point, right? Right. So I don't think that this, uh, but I think it's, I think there's, there may be a clue and I, I, I'm with you, Kevin. I don't know that we can to define this, but it's interesting that, um, you know, in the temple recommend, we have that question, right. You know, that we sustain president Nelson as, as the prophets and revelator and is the only one who's authorized to exercise all priesthood keys. You almost get the sense. And I'm, I, I would never say this for sure. So, but you almost get the sense that he's authorizing him now to use additional keys that maybe perhaps hadn't been authorized before. 
right? When you receive the Melchizedek priesthood, you receive the Melchizedek priesthood, but the, and there's keys of the priesthood that you and I have that aren't authorized to be used, right? It's not, in a sense, they're just dormant, but it's the, it's not that they're there because we do know they were baptism, baptize, baptizing all the way clear back, you know, but um, but it's almost as if here's this baptism and and we know later that that by this point, at least in the in the New Testament, you also have baptism for the dead going to begin because none of that. So so there's some language here that seems to indicate there's more happening than what we realize. And you're going to see that when you guys write as you have different guests and, and different things as you get all the way through chapter 19 and 20, you're going to have what I would say is very much a temple experience, right? And that can't be written. They can't talk about it, but the heavens open and there's a whole bunch of things happening, all very symbolic and matching almost identically with what takes place in the tabernacle and in the temple um, paralleling. Um, I won't say anything about numerology because I know you had a disclaimer a couple of weeks ago on that, but, uh, <laughs> but I know Shelby loves it. <laughs> But but the reality is, is that all is, is in my opinion, going to come into play as well. But again, even in the introduction, of, I love, I'm going to side note, this is how my brain works. It's like, this is why I don't do a lot of these things, because it's like a pinball machine. Um, but I love the fact that when you were talking about Nephi, I love that it says he was among the multitude. Um, in my doctoral classes, I've been studying a lot about leadership and it's, there was this story about a guy who, who was in a meeting and he took a chair and then the guy who was running the meeting said, that chair is not for you. And he had to go back and sit somewhere else. And I love that Nephi was among the multitude that he didn't assume, Hey, I've been teaching and preaching of Christ. I'm a prophet, but he didn't assume I'm going to be at the front of this multitude that he just said, I'm here and I'm going to follow his lead. And, and then he gets called out. And I love the beauty of Nephi's humility there to say, I, I, I know what I've taught. I know what I've testified and I know what I've been discussing. I mean, this is Nephi who, who back in what chapter one has the ceiling keys. These, I mean, it's not like he's nobody, but he still says, you know, that savior's statement, he that is greatest among you, let, you know, him be the servant of all. And he's, that's where he is. So I love that. And and then obviously there's power. And uh, so I think power, that phrase in 21, I do think it's, I think it's indicative of something more that maybe hadn't been present prior to that point yet, but we don't know what it is. And I can't, I would never say just because of conjecture. I would also add that you know, and like same disclaimer, I don't actually know either, but because there was disputation among them about baptism and the doctrine of Christ, let me reiterate that he has the power to baptize, right? He has the authority and, you know, it can be many reasons why this happened, but that's the other thing that came to my mind is I'm going to tell the people so there's no more disputations that this is why, you know, he has power. It's to baptize. It's to progress along the covenant path and build that relationship like we've been talking about. Well, and Shelby, earlier when you mentioned contention, I was thinking about that idea of, right, he's clearing up some doctrine there that was absolutely necessary. And But at the same time, I was thinking about this covenant relationship. 
and how people, I don't want to sound harsh or critical, but they think they're making a relationship with Christ by doing it a different way. There's one way, him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. It's And sometimes we want to do it our own way. And we say, well, I'm going to have a covenant relationship, but I'm going to go. I don't I can't remember who spoke about it. My brain's getting worse. But um, years ago, there was that talk by the uh, general authority who said that we stopped going to church because one day my, my dad decided to go into the mountains and we went on a drive instead of going to church. And he said, from that point forward, we stopped. It's, it's very Cain and Abel-ish. I want to offer sacrifice, but I want to do it my way. And I want you to accept it. And, and, and the Savior's saying, I, I love you, but that's not okay. I, if you want to make a true covenant with me, you have to do it with me. The way I've said to, the way it's pronounced, uh, with the proper keys and authority, and and the way it's done by immersion, and and that's how it works. And and it sounds funny, but anything less is not a covenant relationship with him. We want it to be. We'll actually mask it. We'll to to and in a sense to kind of create some self validation, and and this idea of oh well I'm going to be autonomous and and. But that's that's not what he's about right now. He says, if you want in my family, you have to we have to do it this way. Same thing with marriage for eternity. Right. Section 132 talks about the different types of marriages till death you part. He says, that's fantastic, but it's not going to last. If you want it to last, you have to do it the way I've instructed to do it. These are eternally bound. They're not something that I mean, this is one of the, the only things in the church that is actually a set prayer right? That cannot be changed or differentiated. And when it comes to ordinances and covenants, those types of things are, that's the way it has to be. So I, I think that it sounds funny, but I think that word contention and disputation, Shelby, that it's, it's almost like he says, stop contending with yourself. You keep trying to have a relationship with me on your terms. I want you to understand that you can try, but it's not going to work. I want you to be with me and I'm going to clear this up how it's done. You have to do it the way I've instructed, but this is how I want. And I, and I want you there. I want this because sometimes I think that contention wasn't so much because it's interesting. I mean, this is the 2,500 people at the temple. It's not like they're having, you know, I, I don't think they're at the dinner table arguing about how baptism should go. So I wonder if there's something more there that says, hey, just to make sure this is a, this is how you do it, but this is this is the way you need to do it. You need to give up everything. This is the natural man. I want it all. I don't want a part of you. I want the whole thing. So when you, you talk about contention, sometimes they think that contention is is actually turning inward. I wanted to reference as I was listening to you talk, um, Elder Renlin gave a talk called Accessing God's Power Through Covenant Keeping. It was so good. And I wanted, I was trying to find it. He does, I can't find this. I want to read one part, but I'll also say this. He says that we should not enter or make covenants or promises unless we're fully intent on keeping that covenant or promise, no matter what, right? No matter what comes our way, we are intent on staying connected to the Lord, staying bound to him. And I thought that was really powerful, but also to what you were saying, 
here it says, I don't even know what paragraph this is, but I'm going to read it. It says, before the earth was created, God established covenants as the mechanism by which we, his children, could unite ourselves to him. Based on eternal, unchanging law, he specified the non-negotiable conditions whereby we are transformed, saved, and exalted. In this life, we make the covenants by participating in priesthood ordinances and promising to do what God asks us to do. And in return, God promises us certain blessings. Now, if you haven't read that talk, I would go back and read it. It's so good. But I feel like this just encompassed everything you were saying. There is certain law that was given. It's it's eternal. It's unchanging. There are conditions, non-negotiable conditions. We can't come to him and say, will you just change it for me? You know, I just want it to be this way. That's not how it works. And, and it's clear that even before the earth was created, covenants were also a way that we were learning and, you know, becoming these spirits that were eventually going to have bodies. And so I just, I don't know, it's so powerful. I, I love the temple. I always tell Kevin that if there is, if I know I have one day left to live and I'm going to die the next day, I want to be in the temple all day. Like I'm, I'm not joking. If my, if my kids are older listening to this and I'm about to die, take me to the temple because that's where I want to be because I know it's the closest place that I can get to the savior here on earth. Right. Cause I can be reminded of those covenants and that relationship with him. And so I don't really know where my thoughts were going on that besides just going off of yours. I, it's just important here in third Nephi 11, that these things are set and clarified so that moving forward, there's no, I'm going to go a different way and I'm going to try to negotiate with the Lord. Right. And say, Hey, can you change this for me? <laughs> no, I can't. It's, it's this way. I would actually, uh, two things. I, 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 I remember Kevin talking about that idea of intent a couple of weeks ago in your podcast, he brought up that word and spent some time there delineating that on for us. But, um, but it was interesting you said in the temple and I said, but in my mind of going, but that's also not his pattern. So I'm going to say that he can come to you anywhere. Like we, and I'm not trying to correct you, but I would just say, I'm just saying like, I think too many of us have created, we've, we've almost become programmatic and, and, um, and we, we say, well, I have to, it's that Elder Bednar talk that you mentioned. In fact, you guys talked about it a couple weeks ago too in your podcast where you talked about evening with the general authority where we, we, we program, right? We say, well, I have to pray and read my scriptures to get the spirit. And, I'm, and I've always said, well, where did it go? Like, did you, the covenant is that you will always have it with you. And so unless you've done something, no, it's, it's not gone anywhere. Now we pray and we read or we sing a hymn to increase the likelihood of feeling the Holy Ghost in in like our meetings, etc. But we have the Holy Ghost. And some people, like we think, I, I can only get answers in the temple. I can only get answers. And I'm just going, well, that means that I can only get a witness of the church in the sacred grove. That's, and, and I, we have to get away from that. Some of the greatest and most spiritual experiences and I'm not lying on this because I listen to a lot of podcasts and, and books, but they, I have, I have a mower and I have to sit on that mower for some time to, to get everything done out here in East Texas. And I like, I'll be out there and Kelly will see me crying and she's like, what's wrong? I'm like, it's just, 
And she'll think it's allergies. And I'm like, no, it's because I just heard this and I felt this witness and I'm going, that was just as real. Like Alma talks about in Alma 32, it was just as real as if I saw, as if I felt. And, and so the beauty of that comment that you're making to me, Shelby, is that, that, yeah, he's, he wants this deepened relationship with us and he wants it anywhere. And, and that word intent that's that same word in the temple recommend. Are you striving? Right? These 2,500 people were not perfect, but they were striving. They intended, I think their hearts were in a place where they're saying, I intend to keep my covenants. I want to be better. And it doesn't mean I'm perfect. Doesn't mean I don't have a bad day. It doesn't mean I didn't make a mistake. Doesn't mean I, I didn't get frustrated with the driver on the road today or, or, or lose my temper with my child today, um, right? Because we have those moments or get hurt or, or offended because of something or someone or, a, or heaven forbid, a priesthood leader or a leader or a young women's or relief society president said out of, you know, some sort of inconsiderate way in, in the church, which happens a lot, but we're still just trying to be better. We're trying to, that's what I, that's why I'm so fascinated with how quick the savior was to, to talk to the people who the Pharisees perceived as publicans and sinners. He spent his time with those people who I think were just hoping Right. You just have these people who I'm just sure were sitting at his feet. That woman who brings in the alabaster box of oil, who's just who's just saying, I, I just want to touch you. I just want to be with you. You don't even have to say anything to me. I'm just here. And the whole time, you know, the other that Pharisee is sitting here saying, if this man knew who she was and I'm just going, that's a woman who's intent. Right. And it, it, I don't know. I'm, I could be totally wrong. I probably am. I don't think so. <laughs> well, we, unfortunately, we are coming up on the time that we have today, but I wanted to share something kind of in closing and, and I know it could, it could be like, oh, we could spend a whole nother hour talking about this <laughs> once I say it, but it's something to leave for maybe something that Shelby and I will get into next week. And then you, you have the the luxury or the, the ability to listen. Um, and then it also leaves those who are listening with um, some thoughts to take from what we've talked about. So I, in my mind, as we were talking and as you brought up intent, I think that's where somehow it triggered something in my mind. And I wanted to go and pull a thread that took me back to second Nephi chapter 31. So we're leaving Christ appearing to the people and then clarifying his doctrine of baptism. And then we go back to another Nephi <laughs> clarifying why Christ needed to be baptized. And in verse 13 of that 31st chapter of 2 Nephi, it says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, I know that if ye shall follow the Son with full purpose of heart, acting no hypocrisy and no deception before God, but with real intent, repenting of your sins, witnessing unto the Father that you are willing to take upon you the name of Christ by baptism, 
Yea, by following your Lord and your Savior down into the water, according to his word, behold, then shall ye receive the Holy Ghost. Yea, then cometh the baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost, and then can ye speak with the tongues of angels and shout praises unto the Holy One of Israel. Now, if you have been listening at all during this this episode, is that not, can you not clearly see and unpack, you know, in that verse, there's, you know, uh, eliminating the disputations among people, right? I even, that, it really hit me with speak with the tongues of angels or the tongue of angels. Um, and then doing what he's asked you to do as, as a sign of your willingness to covenant with him. Can I share something, Kev, in closing? You can shut me up. But it, it matches your, if you go back to 3rd Nephi 11, right? Uh, we kind of started, or at least I started with saying, he kind of said, I am the light in life, and I just want to get to know you, right? At the end of the doctrinal discourse on baptism and the doctrine, notice what he says. He starts it in verse 35 and 36, and there's three people he talks about in this. Verily I say unto you, that's one person, me, you, the listener, the reader, this is my doctrine, and I bear record of it from the Father, and whoso believeth in me, that's the second person, Christ, and the third person is the Father, believeth in the Father also. And unto him now will the Father, this is your language, Kevin, from 2 Nephi 31, bear record of me, for he will visit him, meaning you and I, with fire and with the Holy Ghost. And thus will the Father bear record of me, and the Holy Ghost will bear record unto him of the Father and of me, for the Father and I and the Holy Ghost are one. It's interesting, again, once again, this entire chapter to me is about relationships. It's Heavenly Father saying, I want to introduce my son. I want you to make covenants with him because he is how I am accessed. And when he's not there, I sent the Holy Ghost to talk to you and to remind you and to consistently. But then if you jump up to verse 39, well, actually, we didn't even go to 37, 38, but it's really good. The order of things, if you want to, that's a fun little, look at the order of 37 to 38. The sequence is very in, insightful because it reverses. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he says that this is my doctrine. And whoso buildeth upon this, buildeth upon my rock. That's the language of Matthew 16, right? Right. Then when when he says, whom say ye that I am? And, and Peter says, thou art the Christ. And then he says, you know, upon this rock. In other words, this rock of revelation, this rock of witness upon that witness, Peter, that you receive, you know, right. You have seen now you've felt and you you can testify. These twenty five hundred have seen and felt and now they can testify. In other words, the seeing, the feeling, and the testifying is a way to access the Savior. And then he, we, we enter into those sacred covenants. Then we access him through the Holy Ghost, and we have that deepened relationship with him. We have that covenant relationship with him. I don't know if you guys have ever, or do you, if you had a chance or listened to the speeches.byu.edu last November, designed for covenant relationships by Jenna Erickson. I don't know, Dr. Erickson, if you haven't listened to that, that one is brilliant, like next level, top notch. Um, they're all really good, but hers is really good. 
but it's it's just a powerful idea to say he's introducing yes he appears in the heavens yes he's the light and life but all he wants to do is just say i want to get to know you and i want you to know me so that we can talk about everything else about tithing about fast offerings about a mission about how to serve how to sacrifice law of consecration get to know him first and then let him explain those to you we do it in reverse we try to teach the doctrine and we say in the process you know, uh, if you can go talk to him about it, but it's, we, it's, we need to reverse that. So. I don't even know what to add after Kevin's insights and now your insights. I mean, I just, I want to add on to what you said earlier about, you know, I said, I love the temple, but I know that you can also, like you said, find him anywhere that you are and he will be there. And all it takes is us coming unto him. Right. And inviting him. And as we make those covenants, the spirit is always with us as long as we're trying our best and striving. And I know that to be true because I've had experiences in my own life, right, where I'm not in the temple. I am somewhere else and I'm crying. Mainly it's the car because I'm out and about and I'm always trying to keep a prayer in my heart. But I've been at stoplights crying before. Yours is the lawnmower. Mine's the car. So (laughs) that sounds bad. But, you know, I just, I know that this, this chapter is so important. I mean, all the chapters are very important, but this one gives us a lot of insight into Christ, our relationship, what's most important and what we need to be seeking and what we need to be doing and, you know, building relationships with others to help them come into him too, as we ourselves continually come into him. So I just, I know that to be true. And I'm grateful that you were able to be on this podcast with us for this episode. Um, It'll definitely be one. I don't always listen to our episodes, but this will be one that I go back and listen to because I love hearing your insights and it'll just get me thinking even more. So yeah, we will be back next week with 35 chapter 12. I just feel like we've been going all the way up to 11 that it's like, oh, there's a 12 after that and a 13 and a 14. (laughs) So I'm excited to unpack those too. (laughs) <laughs> only gets better from here. This is the beginning of the covenant path. But yeah, if you read the rest of Third Nephi, he everything's there. I actually think Third Nephi is the eleven is the beginning, and I'm like, by the time you get seventy, eighteen, and nineteen, that's where real cool stuff happens. I mean, it's all yeah. cool. You know what I mean? Well, again, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you to those who have listened. Um, I hope you. You found valuable nuggets. You take the chance to, of course, read the scriptures yourself and and learn for yourself of the truth that's in there. Um, and we will talk to y'all next week. Bye, y'all. All right, let's. My dear brothers and sisters, I promise that as you prayerfully study the Book of Mormon every day, you will make better decisions every day. I promise that as you ponder what you study, the windows of heaven will open and you will receive answers to your own questions and direction for your own life.